0: Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nyson for our Gent Vevelhem Men and Women's and Catalonia Stage 7, the final stage recap. It's going to be in one beast of a podcast, three separate YouTube videos. You know that's how it works. Uh, Big shout-out to our show partner, Le Col. Le Col love the classics and so much that they're sponsoring or they're uh, named title sponsor in fact of one of the teams competing in Han today, drops Lacole in the women's race. If you want to go and check out Drops Lacole and Lacole, then they're doing an Instagram takeover on Lacole's Instagram, which is Lacole UK. Um, pretty obvious which one it is, it's Blue Tick Verified. And if you go into the Insta stories, you got the behind the scenes of the Lacole uh, race day at Han Vavelham, which is happening as we record, because the live coverage of the women's doesn't start for a while. But yeah, go and check that out on the local Insta. But Benji's banned me from telling you the Hen Fableham profile. We'll do that race first. Apparently he has to do it because my pronunciation is not good enough.
1: Yes, I'm going to be taking this one over 247 kilometers. And what's special about Hen Fableham is that it's kind of divided into three aspects of the race. The first 140 kilometers are relatively flat, but in this area, we go through the moon and we spoke about it in the uh, Brugge de Panne recap we did. It's a section that always allows for a bit of crosswinds if the wind is uh, well-placed. And today it was extremely well-placed. It was kind of placed in a similar fashion as the Gent-Wevelgem of 2015 at the start of today's race. So that was looking good. I was looking forward to it. After that section of flatness with potential crosswinds, We've got the hill section, the bergs, and that's also kind of split in two parts from like a good 100 kilometers to go to like 70 kilometers to go. There's five bergs, including the Scherpenberg, Videnjeberg, Baneberg, Kemelberg, and Montenberg, just before that Kemelberg. Then a bit of a transitioning section in between of like a good 10 to 15 to 20 kilometers that leads back into the bergs, back with the Montenberg and Kemelberg, so second time Kemelberg right here. Then we've got the Scherpenberg, Fideniberg, Banaberg, and eventually the final climb, which is again the Kammelberg. This would be usually a deciding moment for a group. Would they stay away or would they not stay away? Because that leads into the uh, final 25 to 30 kilometers, which is relatively flat, going to the finish line. Now, what usually happens in Hindwebelheim is that a group forms either in the bergs or before the bergs in these crosswinds. And then eventually, you've got a battle between the peloton and the group that gets away on the flat section afterwards to see if a sprint comes out or the front group ends up taking it in a bit of a, a skirmish. Today, it was, well, pretty similar, but we'll go into it in a second. I think that there's one change I need to uh, address beforehand. There was a fire at the finish line, I think uh, a few kilometers from the finish line, a recycling factory uh, that was on fire. And fire was so extreme that they had to change the last five kilometers of the stage. Not really that intricate, but it did kind of change the aspect of the final five kilometers. Usually you've got a visit through Manon, which is a, a city near the finish line. And this allows for a lot of cornering and allows for a late attacker to potentially get more advantage out of it. Today, that changed and they had to take a whole way around the fire and leading back into the final three kilometers of the actual original profile. Same
0: finish. This,
1: uh, Yep, same finish. But this changed because, well, it's a wider road and they had a bit of headwind in that well, that like turn they have to do that they didn't have to do originally. So that is a bit of a disadvantage this time around towards riders that attack in the final five kilometers. But uh,
0: yeah, it opened up like crazy, didn't it? Well, before people getting dropped before Benji or Hans Grower, not permitted to start by the race doctor. Um, despite much to the UCI commissaires or Bora Hansgrohe's protestations. They had a close contact, so COVID ruled them out. Not sure if they have any other any actual positives. Trek Segafredo also couldn't start, um, which is a shame. They got last year's winner, Maz Pedersen, some crosswind animals in that team. Real shame. So Trek and Bora out, and I really wanted to see how Pollitt would have gone today, Benji, too. And I think that really changed the race. Those two teams, probably two of the top five strongest teams being out. Uh, But unfortunately, the most exciting part of the race, at least in Benji in my view, didn't get televised. Maybe I'll have it on the highlights uh, tomorrow, but there was crosswind chaos, um, not even overusing that word. Apparently, with like over 100 k's to go, more than that, there was a group of 20-plus riders and we're just going off like live tickers i think la flam rouge are listening to the race radio or something trying to figure out what's going on and no quick step riders had made that front group but favorites van art bennett uh well matthews that was rider but oh <laughs> uh, bennett sorry not a, only <laughs> one quick step rider had made it into the front group quick men trenton Nitzolo, uh, Van Poppel, Dupont, as well as uh, a couple of bike exchange riders helping Matthews, maybe more than a couple of Bauer, an and I might be missing Stano too. So that was really surprising, and that pretty much stayed the whole way. You can see some footage of the Valles, uh Renard put up on Twitter, uh, some pretty sick footage, it must be said, from behind when the crosswinds were going hard. And it pretty much stayed that way. Did it re-split again, Benji? Or was it just attrition from that point?
1: It was a bit of a war of attrition on multiple fronts because you have that initial split of those 21 riders initially that got away in the peloton, I think, still like 170k to go, like you mentioned, like way yeah. from the finish line. and like, the like world situation. champs. Yes, exactly. And what happened afterwards is that the second peloton, who was split in that initial split, then came together. We saw the entire part from the moment that they left this the Moodin section, so the marches we spoke about again, to relatively a good 40 kilometers before they start the hill section. That was an entire chasing scene behind, because that peloton was trying to catch those 21 riders that was ahead. Obviously, you had a small break in a way that was ahead as well, but didn't really come into play today so it's not too much uh worthy to put attention into that but it split again and that was like in the last 30 kilometers before the bags where the peloton behind started splitting again and splintering all over in another crosswind section and i think what ruined the entire chains from that point is that every single time that there was some cooperation in that second peloton group something would happen that caused it to splinter again the Crosswinds, twice, and then eventually when they started going to the Berks, which, yeah, was a, a pretty special move, I think, that we can mention is a, an attack by two quick step riders to try and basically make a move from the Peloton, who was already kind of splintered on the first yeah. game the, to the front group. And it was a bit special, because usually we don't see the Koenig being, uh, being the team that has to make something happen, because they missed out on something and today that was that was it completely from start to finish they had to do it the first time on the camelback with those two rides i think it was t-bar and was it lampard i'm not ballerini. actually sure
0: ballerini well, let's yes, try and we, let's try and define the race yes. situation because this is about the time live coverage started so we can speak with a bit more confidence about it the gap between group let's just say group one with the favorites back to the group led by Quickstep, was between 50 seconds and a minute 20 for a lot of that period of time. We still have about 100 kilometres remaining. De Kernick chasing because they are not happy with having Sam Bennett in this group, and I'll read out all the names, just the completeness because that will make you surprised that only Bennett made it into this group. Bauer, Bennett, Bissiger, Bistrom, De Bois, Dupont, Erviti, Fedorov, Golash, Kung, Le Croc, Lemois, Mas, Matthews, Mezges, Nitzolo, Rex, Ruch, Standard, Sutlin Trenton, Van Aert, Van Hoedonck, and Van Poppel. One quick-step rider in that group, their they're sprinter isolated. That's why when they hit the Hellingen. Uh, I think it was the Barnenberg, we saw the quick step. I thought Panicking, as Benji mentioned, it was Stibar trying to bridge with Ballerini I think they had Narsen and Greg Van Avermaet behind Fasje Deser, Citron. maybe there just wasn't much coordination, maybe bike exchange riders are doing a good job blocking, but that 50 second plus gap to a front group that was working really well, I was like, oh That's a big gap to try and bridge, especially when Durbridge joined them from bike exchange sitting on. And they got on to the Kembleberg the first time, as Benji said, and Stibar dropped Ballerini. So I don't know whether that move was to bring Ballerini with him or Ballerini was to try and help Stibar bridge across. Very, a little bit confusing and a little bit of panic for De Koenig Quick step. They then went on to the plug streaks, 55 second gap, 72 Ks to go. De Koenig was still behind. What are the plug streets, Benji?
1: So basically, this is in a region where, well, uh, World War uh, was held, um, the first one. And this is usually called uh, Plugsteert, these streets and this area. And these are gravel sections, and one of them is, for example, the Hill 63 uh, gravel section, very uh, known hill from uh, World War, I think it's the first one. Let's hope I'm not saying this wrong, because that's uh, pretty harsh if I don't know that correctly as a Flemish person. But um, I think that they're basically just some glorified gravel sections. And it's it's not that they're going to make the biggest difference in this, but we do know from history that a lot of riders do tend to – have punctures on these, like Christoph today, again on the Mez same gets, flat street that he had uh, a puncture as well a few years ago. Mesgetch indeed, he uh, dropped out of the front group. Am I right?
0: Yes, Mesgetch punctured, so Bike Exchange were down an extra rider. They still had Bauer with Matthews and Stannard, I think. And there's no real moves to describe from Steba with Ballerini. I mean, then de Koenig tried again with Lampard multiple times. Lampard was either trying to bridge across in a smaller group of maybe three or four, or he was just straight up towing that, let's call it group two on the road. And there was attrition out of that first group of 20 riders. You might have noticed in the names I read out, a pretty big divergence in ability. That's because some of the riders have been mopped up from the break that's because maybe they were just in the right place at the right time when the echelons first happened in the race. So Jonas Rutsch was dropping eventually. Rex dropping. Uh, Mas, uh Golas. And most of that dropping or the next big separation was on the second ascent of the Camelberg with, I think, about 50 Ks to go just over. Wow, Van Aert, I wouldn't say it it wasn't a massive attack and it wasn't because he didn't have the legs. I think he was just trying to re-split it once again and it was a nice move from Van Aert and he created a 10-man group dropping about half of that other group who became now group two on the road immediately over 20 seconds behind them. And then you've still got De chasing now in group three. The front group of 10 riders with Van Aert was Bennett, still made it over the second descent of the Kemmelberg, Van Poppel, Van de Marche, Van Aert, Van Hoydonk. Van Hoydonk moved from CCC to Jumbo visma this year, Colbrelli, Matthews, Stannard, Nizzolo, Trentin and Kung. You'll notice about the composition of that group, pretty much all of them are sprinters, be it a bunch sprinter, combination sprinter, or like a classics sprinter like Trenton. All of them are sort of the guys who backed their sprint in a reduced bunch, except for Kung and Hoidonk and Stannard were working for their leaders. So, yeah, at that point, Benji, did you think Quickstep or the other group too had any chance of catching that group? And if not, why not? Why would that group work together so well for the rest of the race?
1: I think there's multiple factors that led into, led into uh, the thought process that I had at that moment. First of all, the front group has basically sprinters plus Kung and Van Hooydonk. This means that, um, well, those sprinters are likely going to work together because they all want to kind of bring it towards a finishing sprint. Van hoydonk is not going to uh, splinter it himself. He's going to try and keep it together because the more people they have, the more they can well, try and get away from the people behind. That's also one of the reasons where I think Wout van wasn't going to really explode anything on either of these clans because the more people he has at that moment, the better the situation is for the uh, Posedberg section. And I think that that is one of the factors, just the fact that sprinters are there, they're going to try and work together. Kung is the only person that will be the dude that will try to attack at some point, but not expecting that on the hills itself. And then the group behind is basically a group that has been cracking and splintering every single crosswind, every single hill, but also the factor that the Koenig, despite their moves, every time the move felt they weren't basing again.
0: It'd been like a 100 Ks of them trying to get more riders into the front group because they knew with the last descent of the Kemmelberg and Bennett with no teammates, that's not the ideal situation for them. They want Stibar Lampart up there. Um but as Benji said, they'd eat in 20 seconds and then just hold that gap because the front group at no point did this front group ever stop cooperating. Pretty much all the way through to the finish. There was no finessing everyone looking around because of the composition of that group. And the second group runners who'd been dropped because they didn't have the legs. They were never Coming back. So 38 Ks to go, 45 seconds from that group of 10, mostly sprinters with the race favorite Van Aert, back to group two, and then more back to the De Kernic quick step, Nas and Van Avramark group, probably over a minute at that point. Three Ks to go into the Kemelberg. They line up. Trenton accelerates at the bottom and we'll talk about Trenton, I think, afterwards. Van Aert then counterattacks over him, but not a full like him and MVDP going head-to-head attack on this last climb. It's more just an acceleration. Bennett started dropping, but not completely distanced. Him and Colbrelli were kind of fighting to get up to Wild Van Aert's wheel. Van Hooydonk was just distanced over the top. De Kernick, they attacked on the Kemmelberg in that third group. And they were at a minute still at that point. Sam Bennett, whilst he made it over with that group, they had 33 Ks of flat road to go, 48 second gap, and he started vomiting on the right-hand side of the road, like a lot of liquid. So, um, yeah, maybe he had minus 0.0% in the bid on accidentally or what happened, but obviously that big effort cost him and he wasn't feeling too good. And, yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's really not much more to say for the next 15 kilometers. There's just these failed attempts from behind with Lampard, Van Avermaet, Narsen, Bistrom, Van Bala, Vermeer, Le Croc, and Lemoyne getting from like a minute 10 to 55 seconds, working together for a bit, and then it just all falls apart. Lampard gets mad justify probably and it goes nowhere and eventually people would just start attacking out of that second group um 25 k's to go 53 seconds still no change to the situation everyone's rolling turns on the front 15 k's to go while Van Aert rolls his turn Van Hooydonk rolls over him and then Van Aert loses his will Van Hooydonk looks under his left shoulder doesn't get out of the saddle and then kicks changes up a gear Accelerates really hard in the saddle, almost imperceptibly, drops Bennett and Van Poppel on this flat section. Matthews just hang on hangs on, and then we have ten Ks to go. Reminder of the group. Colbrelli, Wild van Art, Trentin, Matthews, Kung, Van Hoydonk, and Nitsola. So we still have some Genuinely quick men, Solo, in this group, remember, he mugged Borahans and Ackerman in Paranese stage two crosswind <laughs> reduced bunch sprint in twenty twenty. Turgis attacked from the back group, but they were irrelevant. The gap was too big. A minute with under ten Ks to go. What happened in the last sort of nine Ks, Benji, and what should riders have done differently? I think it's a very
1: difficult situation for everybody involved, but I think everybody was waiting for one rider in that front group to make a move. And that's Stefan Kung. He's the only rider that does not have a confidence at all in his sprint because he can't sprint. And the others have some confidence in their sprint. They're not all equal at sprinting, that's for sure. But Stefan Kung is definitely the rider that everyone was expecting to attack. And I'm afraid that the other riders knew that as well because he obviously was in typical echelon formation, just like everybody in that group, just taking its turn, the entire circle around, loop by loop by loop. And they go into the section where that is not the original parkour. So for like three kilometers, they go onto a wider road with a bit of a headwind. And then the issue is that it's harder to get away from that group. It's not an ideal section to attack. So that's also not benefiting anyone in that group to make that move. And we noticed at a certain point that I think it was with I think four kilometers to go or something four four and a half kilometers to go where um, King was trying to put himself at the back and then he got moved into having to do the loop again and he tried very fast to do that loop so it was like it was so like phoned in that he was gonna try something because not a single one had taken that that entire relay turn so quickly. Then Kung at that very second. So Kung took that took that loop and was trying to get to the back as fast as possible because you can't attack from a position that is ahead of people because everybody will see it. So he was trying to get to the back, but one man was ready, and that was Nidzolo. Nizolo was like, no, 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 no. You're not getting yeah. behind me anymore. <laughs> I'm gonna sit in your wheel. And Nikung was like, oh shit, now I've got a problem. But he still tried, he still attempted his attack at that moment. Which yeah, I don't think you can really blame. I don't think there's much else you can do as going in this situation. Yeah, try. Yeah, he had to try something, and he tried to attack on the left. Nizolo directly on his wheel. He knew it was coming, and he was there. Matches in the wheel of Nizolo, The rest was kind of ready because it wasn't really the most powerful attack. And then one of the riders at the front moved to the left, which kind of. Ruined the entire attack by Kung, and then it was like, should I try again? I'm like, past everybody now, but anyone's like, okay, I'll just sit in a second wheel, because this ain't going nowhere. And this leads into the last yeah. two kilometers, which just Nathan von der moving to the front, and basically bringing Wout Verard on a throne to the finish line, because, well, bringing all the sprinters on a throne to the finish line then, and nobody else really made a move anymore. Do you think that anybody else should have tried before we went to the final sprint?
0: Trentin, maybe... Um, but I mean what can you do you might be costing yeah. yourself a top three most likely by doing that and yep. that's pretty much what happened with Kung Van Hoydonk. unbelievable today closing down Kung before Kung had even got past his back wheel yeah. shut that down ASAP really really strong I thought they might have attacked with him because he looked so good and maybe to force the other sprinters to close but they backed Walfanart for the sprint 100%. Uh, Van Hoedonk leading them out into the last 500 metres, this group of Colbrelli, Trenton, Matthews, Nizzolo, and Van art Kung was second wheel. He just did a lead out just because, I guess, into the last 250. Then Walfanart kicked off his wheel, third wheel, straight through the middle, gapped everybody, immediately put a big gap into them and... I mean it was a very, very easy sprint victory for Van Aert. He posted up with like twenty-five meters to go. Van Hoydonk was celebrating behind him with twenty-five to go Ks to go as twenty-five Ks? Yeah, probably there were as well, but twenty-five <laughs> metres to go. Nitsolo was coming round, but he was started too far back. He came second, three Italians after Van Aert. So Van Aert, Nizzolo, Trent Trenton third, Colbrelli fourth, Matthews fifth. Kung, 6th, and Van Hoedonk, 7th. Matthews seemed to be having issues with cramps or something. We thought he might have been playing, but maybe it was legitimate in the last five Ks. Then I'm looking at who came out of the second group. I know Tertius attacked Benji, so I think it was Van Bala, Tertius, and Shani Vatomirsch, 8, nine, ten, and then not sure of the results after that. No Quick-step riders in the top 10 of Gen Fable and Benji. After E3, Harel Becker, Dominance, some people won't be getting their uh, their soup from Patrick Lefebvre this evening. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I think that it all comes down to
1: one split second, the second that the initial echelon got formed with yeah. Wout Venard in it. And I think that is the only moment in this entire race where they can really blame themselves because afterwards they had to run behind everything that was happening. They had to try and fix what they lost with that initial move and they couldn't do it, which means that the initial crosswind devastated their race. And
0: no one really wanted to help.
1: The funniest part I find Ineos because, well, they made the initial echelon (laughs) and (laughs) there was one rider in it, Mikael Golas. (laughs) So I don't know what their plan was, but I think it didn't work. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I know. Yeah. They're like, we're just going to just blow this race apart and then not get Van Baal in the front group. And Goldust got dropped on the and Art acceleration on the second Kemmelberg. Um, Van Hoidong. Benji. We spoke on the Jumbo Visma preview pod. We said he was obviously signed for this reason to help and Art and shore up Jumbo Visma's team in the classics. I've yep. got to admit I didn't see this sort of performance coming. This was really, really strong to have, to be the only team with multiple riders in the front group supporting Wout van Aert. It it goes to show what a difference it made. We could have had a different race today where Wout van Aert's in a group, front group with Kung Lampard, Steerba, and Seneschal and That would have been big problems, and that's what we've seen before. But today, completely the opposite, and Walfenart dominated this sprint. And Jumbo Visma, I say, just had the race played out perfectly. Apparently, Walfenart didn't go full on any of the Kemmelbergs because he didn't want to drop Van Hoydonk. He's got like that 30k flat run into the finish. You don't want to be closing down moves all on their own. Do you think... The presence of Van Hooydonk even prevented too much happening in that last 30 Ks.
1: I think it certainly boycotted the attacks a bit more than last year, because last year we had a situation very similar, but Turnison dropped from that front group in the last 30 kilometers, something like that, and that allowed for more attacks in the final section with Van Hooydonk being here, knowing that he's a pretty good flat rider, he's got a time trial, so... He can, he can do this. He can count stuff in these flat sections. And um, we might be underrating his history because like he had a few off years, I'd say. But I think in 2017, I could be completely wrong. And it's so sad that I'm wrong about this. But when Oliver Nassen became Belgian champion, Nathan van Hooydonko was second in that race. And um, he did that also being the sole rider of BMC in that group all over the cobble sections with the best cobble riders of belgium that day so yeah certainly a rider that can ride cobbles that's for sure and i'm happy that he's again on a level that he's displaying stuff because last year it wasn't really the case and i'm just happy because he's also a fellow pro cycling manager player so highlighted yeah oh, really but um next to that yeah just an awesome ride by the dude and it it all comes down to the initial echelon again i think that it's easy to say that, oh, they had a better team today. Yeah, Jumbo, I think that they had a better team or perhaps than last year in the sense that one of their riders could stick in the last 30 kilometers, but they also had the, I, I can't call it luck, but perhaps the cleverness to be in the right position when that echelon happened. And when you have two people instead of one person in that echelon, it changed a lot and that's displayed by Van Hooy. Don't care, it could just as well have been for example, Trenton with Kristoff, and then one of the two, well, they probably wouldn't work for each other, I think, but still. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. You, you get the gist of it. We we don't need to say Yumbo business Classics team strength problems are completely fixed. Really great day today, but we saw at Harel Becker the opposite of that, you know, just a few days ago. So um, I know he had the puncture well on art and that kind of stymied its race, but still it's it was really good today. Really good to see and a big win from Walflanat. Uh any other storylines, Benji? I mean, I'm gonna title my video a Crosswind Chaos or something similar you tomorrow. to Mark. Like- I'll have I have to. Because the final really wasn't that interesting. And I think Last year I just remember having Seneschal Peterson, everyone attacking Vanderpool. Here's a hypothetical for you that we maybe might put on the LRCP shorts YouTube channel once it exists. If Vanderpool was in this front group with Wafanat, how does that change the complexion of this final 25 kilometers? It would
1: depend on whether Vanderpool would be in it alone or would have a teammate, because if he is there alone, he tries to explode it even more on the last camelbag which makes sure that yeah, the group exactly. doesn't stick together. True. And then afterwards, you have the last 30 kilometers of flatness with smaller groups and more 1v1s. And I think a better situation for the rider like Kung to get away because then you don't have Nathan van Hooydonk anymore in that group. Then you won't be having Bennett, obviously, because if Van der launches on on the Camelbet, I'd be surprised if there's more than four people left on that moment. Van Art can't use the tactic of trying to keep it together and it would be a completely different last 30 kilometers, certainly. But that all comes down to whether Van der Poel would have a teammate. Because let's say if Van der Poel has Vermeerge there, who was again, once again, super strong today, then it could also play in differently. Because then Van der Poel could try the same tactic as as Van Hooydonk and Van Aert did here. So it really depends on the situation. But I think that if Van der Poel would be in that front group, it would have been splintered way more after the Kellenberg, the last one.
0: We've had a few signings that were supposed to be cobbled classic signings heralded this year. Ivan Garcia, Cortina for Movistar. He was their best place rider at 18th, so their cobbled form isn't really fixed. I mean, Irvati was in the early move. He was probably their best rider of the day. Same goes for Van Avermaet to a Citroen. And I know once you miss the split, it's hard to have a good race from there, but it was similar issues at Harrell-Becker. Do you think they need to just go into these races, Benji, with Narsen and Van Avermaet, not having them as like a dual threat, but just be like, pick one and the other one has to work for the other?
1: Um, I think that the situation they were in today – is difficult to judge because it's all coming down to the initial echelon. If they were having attacks on the Bergs, for example, that led to the attack, then it would be completely different. And then you can see who's a stronger one of the group and who can make that. I don't think today you can really say that. No, no, no. can't
0: do that. Because (laughs) Van Avermaet will never say, all right, even if he's not having a great day. Exactly, but... I've, I was coming down to the point
1: where, obviously, you need some kind of priority, but those riders also need to be honest about it in the race. And that's an issue if Van Navamad doesn't want to say, oh, I'm not that great today, I'm going to ride for, for Narsen here. That's an issue. And that's the big difference I see between the likes of Anasjazeera and the likes of the Koenig today. Or like most importantly, at E3, where I think the Koenig, if one of their riders is not feeling too well, he just phones it in and he says, okay, we're going to try and make someone else of the team win because it's not the individual rider that does it, it's a team. And I think that the Ajax team has the opposite opinion at the moment in the sense that it feels like they are riding for themselves instead of the team.
0: I love how Astana Premier Tech straight up don't have a cobbled team. <laughs> they had three riders finish, <laughs> and the Fit best place <laughs> The best place was sixty first. And we said in the preview, <laughs> like they literally don't care about the cobbles and have no one to ride them. But Ardennes, pretty solid stage hunting. Yeah, but pretty solid. Yeah.
1: When it comes to uh, Ronde Van Vlaanderen, they were planning to ride it with both Lutsenko and Fulsang, but I read yesterday that the plans changed and they both won't be riding it. So again, no team there for them that day.
0: Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right, yep. they're focusing on the Ardennes. There. Anyway, Grandvallem finished today. That was our recap. We have Dwars door London in a couple of days. Wednesday, I think, continuing the cobble classic action. Stay tuned now for the last stage of the Volta Scalistra Catalunya, stage seven. It's the classic Barcelona circuit. Benji, five laps of the Castle of Montjuïc circuit. It's a nasty little climb with an eight percent kicker in the last seven hundred meters, maybe even steeper, at twelve, fourteen percent pinches at points. A short stage though, 134Ks. It started and was over before I could believe it. It was great for me. It was on before America <laughs> even was awake. That was great. It's before good scheduling beforehand for Ableham. Pretty pretty innocuous first half, but that circuit's hard and it's always the GC riders or a break winning. It's not possible for a sprint, Um, and you've got to be a pretty strong breakaway rider. Uh, I said Valverde or Woods-type rider yesterday. I think Benji said Thomas de Hent, and, yeah, the race situation was Thomas de Hent and Mohoric. Mohoric, he's got to have been in six breaks this week at (laughs) Catalonia up the road again. They had a big gap on – oh, not a big gap. Sorry, they had a minute-plus gap on – a larger break group containing Marc Soler, Luis Leon Sanchez, Volta in that group as well. And then behind them was the Peloton, and this is with like 30 Ks to go, or will say. And the Peloton was kind of being slow-paced by Ineos, No one really taking it up, going into the circuit because, well, Movistar had riders up the road and, yeah, a, a lot of other teams, had like a lot of had the uh, hint up the road and Bahrain was sorted. So they weren't really doing anything for wild poles. And yeah, the gap went out to like four minutes plus going to the circuit, which is a pretty large gap given that it's a, a short stage. Um, what did you think Benji with, let's, let's define the race situation though. Um, about thirty nine Ks to go. Moritz and the De Hent. Movistar start pacing despite Solera attacking. Movistar start pacing with thirty Ks to go. Why? I ask uh, you every day.
1: <laughs> it's a daily question these days. When it comes to Movistar start wow, okay. When it comes to Movistar today, I think that they did have to do something because they've got a position in G C that is not necessarily too far from, uh, I think it's almost that's the worst of the of the portrait is, yes, in GC, yeah. a, um, a subtle 14 seconds ahead of El Verde in GC before this stage, which means that they should try something on these small hills. Alverde can try and put in a bit of an attack somewhere or try to gain at least those 14 seconds. It's going to be really difficult. The parkour doesn't really fit it, I think, personally. I've never really had confidence in gaps for GC today and um while eventually the movistar uh, movements they were a bit in start stop motion in the sense that they came to that monge climb and they had one attack with volvary at some point and that was easily countered by yates himself and i think thomas was pretty fast to respond Richie port was like 20 meters behind and a bit of a chasing section, but they came back together because the Valverde will not be pacing with Yates and Thomas in his wheel if he wants to drop Thomas, but yeah, he, uh, he could also try to drop Board. But I don't think the situation was leaning towards anything of that happening. So I think another move by Mass happened on one of the next uh, circuit climbing sections and didn't really go too far anyway. I I was mainly looking forward to seeing who of the front people were making it because well, yeah. when it comes to the end, Mohoric, Mohoric. Uh, I think that there was some very interesting breakaway dynamic there because they found each other so perfectly in their breakaway that I think Mohoric kind of... He semi-gave Thomas de Gendt a bit extra today in the sense that he allowed him to come back after every descent. Because Mohoric, if you don't know Mohoric yet, I'm pretty sure we've spoken about him quite a few times. He is the best descender in the world because he's very arrow and his cornering in these very wide bends, is so, so good to the point where Thomas Tomasz rider that can descend is being put on like 20 to 50 meters every single two kilometer descent, which is just crazy because they come That's to crazy. the bottom of that descent and Mohoric looks behind and is like, I should wait because we're better off together for now. Yeah, But I think this became a problem because he did it every single descent. He I started
0: know. waiting. Well, it was only the problem for true? him, Benji. Mm-hmm. There was only a minute gap the whole time to the group behind with yeah. Bowman, Soler, Luis, Leon Sanchez. And that pressure behind made him think, oh, I I really don't want to be going solo first at 30, then at 20. He's like, oh, it's too early for me to go solo. The Kent's a nice engine. He works seamlessly in a two-up breakaway. And that's why he he waited up every time. Now I think, did he need to sit up and wait up, or could he have just ridden threshold and made to hunt work a bit harder? Yes, the latter. I don't think he needed to sit up the way he did, especially as why take like why bang the descent so hard? And he was like a bullet down this descent. It was the last right hander that he came into, like 15 k's an hour quicker than hunt, but then just sit up. I mean, maybe he just loves going quick. Rick and Bobby want to go fast. Uh, <laughs> as Benji said, second group behind, Soler accelerating, dropping Lewis Leon, same time, 25Ks to go, Movistar pacing on the climb with on Rick Mass. It um, <laughs> doesn't really make sense. It's like Valverde should have been the priority. I said in the video I uploaded today, get Valverde. Well, they'd already thrown the stage win away when they entered the circuit with a five-minute Gap by not pacing beforehand, but yeah, gets all there to help Mas and Valverde, but they were never going to catch that front group. Stage one was definitely up the road. We'll talk about that first. Eventually, Bowman for Jumbo-Visma tried to attack and get across to Gehent and Morish. He never really got too close. He even got brought back, I think, by the group chasing Attila Volta in that group. Five and a half k's to go. Thomas DeHent, with that last final climb, he knew Benji. He knew the whole time. He hit Morridge with a big attack on the steep section, and Morridge literally was out of sight straight away, didn't even respond. <laughs> yep. Three Ks to go. He's gaining two seconds every second. It's not even possible. And Thomas DeHent soloed away with a vintage stage from the breakaway another world tour stage win for him at catalonia he has won so many catalonia five. stages it's outrageous um yeah what are you saying benji
1: five stage wins he had at catalonia and it's <laughs> once again in a an extreme fashion because well you could say that the peloton doesn't care about it but the break was pretty huge and he always rides away from the breakaway in the same fashion he gets away to the front he puts in a small attack. He gets a bit gap, uh, a, a bit of a gap, not a big gap, a bit of a gap on the others. Sometimes someone joins them, and then it's just Thomas the Hint, Thomas the train mode. He just keeps on chew chewing around. And he did that today <laughs> in the same fashion. And I love it. And um, it was a bit of a, a crazy pick yesterday, I think. I didn't really see it as an extreme possibility to have Thomas the Hint win today, but I'm pretty proud of it, to be honest. Because towards the end, being in the breakaway, it happens a lot. But it's also a lot of the times that he's in the breakaway and it leads to nothing. But when he does make it, it's in such a nice fashion.
0: But that's what I thought would happen, Benji. I thought the Peloton would want more, or Movistar would want more out of this stage for Valverde. And when you look at the group behind... They started pacing every every ascent of this climb, every eight k's. star would go harder on that climb, and they would eat into that breakaway gap. And on the last climb with five and a half k's, Mass forced again. Valverde trying a move. Grant Thomas pulled the. Um, you better call an ambulance, but not for me on Valverde. And started like pacing and attacking him in the saddle, almost gapping Valverde. So yeah. Ineos, and we saw this, Thomas did the same strategy on the fourth stage, the last mountain stage. No domestiques on the front, doesn't matter. If I just ride on this climb or on the false flat descent, track mode TT, it's going to be very hard for uh, someone like Valverde to gap me uh, in the last case and put any time into me. So Thomas played it perfect, perfectly, defending his third on GC Movistar couldn't really get anything out of the stage. Volta came third. He attacked, I think, out of the breakaway group that had been distanced by Mohoric and Dehent. But it was yet yeah, Dehent, Mohoric, Volta. Reichenbach came fourth for Group Armour FTJ. Valverde, he actually beat Valverde in the bunch sprint uh, behind. Wood sixth, seventh. Hirschi, we'll talk about him in a second. Almeida eighth. Adam Yates ninth, Champassant tenth, and then a whole bunch of GC guys all in the same time. No GC movement. Adam Yates taking the GC with Port and Thomas second and third. Ineos one, two, three. 3, <laughs> and, and it goes to show if Val, if Movistar had just kept the break in decent shape going into the circuit, they ate three minutes and twenty seconds into it in like twenty-five kilometers. Yeah, they could have been had a a good shout for the stage today and uh, I think they made a mistake once again. They should have backed Valverde 100%. And otherwise, good for Valter, first world to a podium. And Ineos Benji, 1-2-3 on GC, was it as dominant as it looks their week at Catalonia? Because I think it exactly was. I think they barely put a foot wrong.
1: Yeah, I don't think they can do much more than, than they did here. I think the only mistakes they made was really getting that forty-six <laughs> breakaway out there and having to chase that the entire day. Oh, but true. then again, it's a bit of a gamble, you know. You can't you can't really see that coming that after a 12-man group that is gonna be a 46-man group. But in the end, we knew that Yates was one of the favorites here. We said at the um time trial that GC was a luck for him and it was all about Filling up the rest of the top three spots, but other Indian riders, and they they turned around on the mountain stage and did exactly that. So, pretty uh, pretty predictable race, but also a very very fun race. I really enjoyed it, and it's one of those races in the in the um, earlier part of the season that sometimes has me more interested in than, for example, a Tour de Suisse or a Dauphiné. And I don't really know why. I think it's because it's less the people that you see. In every Tour de France, it's more the people that you see in the Giro or the Vuelta that are preparing other races because the people that are preparing the likes of a Tour de France aren't likely going to this race. But, and again, I'm lying because half of the Ineos team that is here is basically the Tour de France team. So,
0: <laughs> Benji, Adam Yates, his first world tour level stage race, GC win in Europe, UAE Tour last year was his first World Tour level GC win, I think they have to take him to the Tour de France. I just I don't see a world in which you only send Adam Yates to the Vuelta and take Gagan Hart to the Vuelta. You got the question mark over his TT. You say, okay, shit at UAE, absolutely banging TT here in Catalonia. It was, it was getting more used to the equipment. First stage, first stage at UAE, first time on new equipment. But then the course suited him a bit more here at uh, Catalonia. That being said, Gegenhardt's TT isn't exactly like Pete Thomas. Like you can trust Thomas, I think his TT is kind of more likely than not go back to where it has been. And then in terms of pure climbing ability, Scotty Yates, it's the consistency that's the issue. But then he's coming from bike exchange to the best most professional, richest team in the world. Ineos, his train can be Carapaz, Dennis, Castroviejo, and Port. Do you, do you What percentage chance do you think he's going to the Tour now, Benji? I think it's an 85% chance.
1: I think that it's pretty, um, pretty on point that he should go. I think to look at how his career has gone so far, I think we can highlight the fact that in 2016 he tried as leader at the Tour de France, he ended up getting fourth. It's the only Grand Tour he ever rode a good GC in. All the rest was pretty much falling through the the classification in the final two-ish weeks. In 2019, arguably his best season before 2021, he uh, started off with a fifth position at Ruta del Sol, then moved to tirreno Adriatico where he got second. That was uh, after Primoz Roglic, the man who basically demolished All the races that year, he went to Catalonia, also got second, Adam Yates. Then he went to Itzulia, he got fifth there. And then he went to the Tour de France and he fell through the classification towards the end. So it's clear that, to me, it seems the issue is not necessarily the climbing and stuff. He can do well against the top riders. I think the main struggle or the danger, the vulnerability for Adam Yates is the recovery into the second and third week. And the fact that we've only seen him achieve this once, which was that 2016 Tour de France. And if they can bolster that, and if they can format that, and bring that into a good aspect, and somehow get him to ride on this level for an entire Tour de France, then he can compete for a a top five or even a third spot on the podium. I don't think it's going to be easy to beat the likes of a Pogacar, are a Roglic, but so far, the season up till now, he's the only rider on any else that has shown any possibility of doing so.
0: Yep, and I think Thomas, really, really encouraging performance here. He's climbing yes. way better than I expected. It's actually his TT that I'm like... A bit weird that TT <laughs> result, but then he's coming second and third. He's climbing like he did in twenty eighteen, so that's more encouraging because the watts must be there, and that's got to convert back to the TT at some point. And I think Yates, Yates, Carapaz, Port, Thomas, it's the perfect. They complement each other perfectly uh, against Pagash and Roglic, and I just for the tour. The sort of climbs they have, I just think Yates yeah, is more of a threat than gagan Hart. Maybe they take Gagan Hart too, but that's my view that it would be insane to me to not take the guy who was pressuring Pogaccia on a record time of her feet a month ago, coming second on GC in the UAE when he lost. The only time he lost was in the TT, on his first TT with the new equipment, and then the guy who just absolutely flattened. Catalonia and didn't he looked so dominant at Catalonia, great TT climbing record on stage 3 I just, you can't leave that guy out of the tour team in my view but that's our Catalonia recap the Ineos Choo Choo, they heard us maybe talking a bit of shit about the Aero base layers, so they came out and hit us with a one two three in <laughs> GC and shut us up, so yep, that's our Catalonia recap we'll now move forward to the Gen women's recap now. So we got to see a good portion of it. Well, pretty much all of the main action, which you couldn't say for the men's race, at least the last 40 kilometers and a similar profile for the last 40 Ks. As with the men's race, I'm barred from going through the parkour. So why don't you run us through it, Benji? Okay. So
1: basically the differences lie mostly in the bergs and the length of the overall race, of course. In the women's range we've got 143.5 kilometers being ridden, of which the uh, first 61-ish are flat. And then we start the first section of hills. We start with the Scherpenberg, Videnjeberg, Baneberg, Monteberg, and Kemmelberg. So that same like couple of climbs we have in the men's race following each other. And then we go towards those uh, black streets, all three of them. And eventually this leads towards a last time the Kemmelberg and the Monteberg. So... We don't have like 10 to uh to 13 or 14, whatever it is in the men's race. Bergs, we have like uh roughly, uh, I'd say, seven, if I can count correctly, yes. And then basically it's uh, a good 31-ish kilometers from the last top of the Kammelberg to the finish line, which is a similar uh, trajectory of the men's race. So same story with the fire, have to do uh, a kilometer and a half extra, which led to a bit of confusion when it comes to the ticker at the left top of the race. But in the end, we all roughly figured out how the race was going. But did we see anything uh, anything similar to the men's race in this race? Did we see, for example, uh, echelons opening up, or did the race take a long time to really open up?
0: Yeah, I think that last ascent of the Kenilberg had everyone really concerned, and on the Plugstra there's nothing happened Um Yeah, nothing really happened. It was a large group of like 60 plus. Even on the Monteberg before the Kemmelberg, nothing happened. It was only when Elisa longo Borghini with 37Ks to go attacked on the climb of the Kemmelberg and she's in a purple jersey as the leader of the Women's World Tour rankings. So that's really annoying because she's actually normally usually Easy to pick out in the Italian National Champs jerseys, so just another purple jersey. Love it. Uh, and she got joined by a pretty select group, Capecchi, Vos, Cavalli, Van Dijk, Peters, Nui, Adoma, over the top of the Camelberg. And I thought, ooh, when usually in the women's races, when a group this strong with the favourites goes, it's pretty hard to bring them back because no one will chase from behind but someone chased um i think it sd works wouldn't have been too happy with that uh that group they only had about 12 seconds gap at most and they had a group of 13 or so chasing them and they weren't working well together Voss wasn't working she sat on and then attacked on a short rise then she got closed down then they all looked at each other and so eventually the groups came back together a group of 30 and then it was anna henderson anna henderson attacking benji on jumbo visma they had multiple riders in the group they had voss who they'd back in a quick finish and I guess they were getting on the offensive against SE Works, Canyon Shram, and Live Racing. What was the gap Anna Henderson got? It was pretty healthy at one point.
1: I think it went like over 20, uh, 20 seconds at a certain point. And yeah. uh, I, I don't know how like the maximum time she had, but eventually uh, it started faltering again and the gap started closing down again once the group behind started working a tiny bit together. Because obviously, if one person has a has the attack and going then the others are not going to be super happy about that and it's also just after uh well you said it after the climbberg which means that all the people that dropped on the climbberg that are behind perhaps a decent sprinters but couldn't follow the front group on the cobble section they try and come back and groups form in the back and groups come together and those groups that come together they find cooperation and they come back together with the second group and that second group becomes larger and then the second group can easily, well, relatively easily catch back on to a rider like Anna Henderson at the front, but I think the race basically came back together afterwards and it was not until uh a moment where I thought this is pretty relaxed and then suddenly boom everybody started panicking because I think it was was it, tried to no. split it Yeah, yeah, correct, correct, correct. So
0: that gap to Henderson was a bit of a false Yeah, like they were clearly letting her dangle at 20, 25 seconds and then Trek assembled the troops at the front with (laughs) Van Dijk, Ruth uh, Winder, Longoborghini, Diagnan and they started trying to split it again. They put it in the gutter and they were rotating those four riders within each other and they did, in fact, split the group and, yeah, put the peloton behind them. They were joined by Peters and Majerus from... Uh, SD Works, Guazzini, Balsamo, she's quick, Balsamo, and they caught back up to Anna Henderson. But then I think Diagnan, she let the wheel go, or at least a longer Borghini, attacked with the other Italian, Soraya Paladin, for Live Racing. And because I always get confused between Live Racing and Canyon Schramm, but particularly because Canyon Schramm used to ride Lives. But yeah, I thought. Paladin would have been sitting on Longoborghini pretty much the whole time but she was working with her on and off to the best of her legs it would allow her to 15 Ks to go. Longoborghini has a 25 second advantage over the bunch with Paladin there now she's got Diagon who was very quick in the finishes last year but maybe not against sprinters of the caliber of Voss. Uh, she beat be Voss in a small bunch sprint but then there's capecchi here too. It means Van Dijk can sit in. It means SD Works have to burn riders. I'm not sure where Jolene Door was at this point. Obviously, we don't have Van der Bregen and uh, Van Vleuten here. It's more of a contenders with sprinters like Balsamo, Bastionelli, Sarah Roy, Emma Norsgaard. Also, different jersey for Noorsgaard, leader of the uh, U23. Not no Danish national champs jersey. Don't know about that either. So it was a good move for Trek. It meant they could sit in. It meant that all the other teams, pretty much the Purples, had to chase. And particularly with Nivea Doma and Cromwell, they were the ones uh, chasing the hardest, even though they didn't really have a sprinter. I don't think uh Nivea Doma was their leader. So that was a bit... Curious to me i guess maybe if they didn't chase no one else was going to bring it back and can you describe what happened with the kilometer banners because i got confused with the graphics it said it was three k's to go i measured a 12 second gap on the road but then there was this motorway benji describe can you tell me how actually far was there to go at that motorway overpass
1: yeah So the motorway overpass is just before they go on to the original parkour again. We said before already uh, in the men's podcast that there is a 3.5 kilometer section from the moment that they reach the original parkour to the finish line. The motor motor section is just before that. So there was roughly a 4 to 3.5 kilometers to go while the original thing on the left top was saying 1.9 kilometers because that's the original length that was still left if the race was ridden on the normal parkour. They just didn't seem to have updated it correctly. So very chaotic because the commentators were like, oh my God, how far is it? And it all really became non-confusing the moment that we hit the three kilometer banner on the original parkour again. Then we knew, yes, this is three kilometers to the line. We still had a gap and it was counted at 24 seconds at a certain point, like a hand counted it to 16 seconds. So... It wasn't really correct what we're showing when it comes to seconds either, so we have to kind of guess. But I think b- between like two kilometers to go and one kilometer to go, the gap between the peloton and the two riders at the front, Paladin and Elisa Longo Borghini, it wasn't really coming too much closer because you've got the situation where the teams that have sprinters, they're trying to move themselves to the front, and it was not until the winner of E 3 No, it was it wasn't E3. It was Dre in My bad. There's no E3 for women. Uh the winner for Dridoxa, Grace Brown came to the front to set up Sarah Roy. Yeah. That we had someone actually chasing and really powerful move by Grace Brown, moving the team forward. And uh well, that led in the sprint, and I'll let you talk about it.
0: Yeah, so I think the plan for Trek was a good one, but they got very unlucky because the way I saw it was attack with Elisa Longaborghini, she could win. If she gets brought back, you can attack with Ellen Van Dijk, force other teams to chase, and hopefully Diagnan, who'd been marking a lot of moves, can then contest a messy reduced sprint. The problem was Elisa Longaborghini got caught just at the wrong time. 500 metres to go to the finish, so she's obviously not winning, but it's also too late for any counterattacks because the sprinter's trains and teams are pretty much assembled and that's what we saw on the right well there was a move on the left hand side they come into about 200 meters to go it's still a very large group it's not been really it's not time for any other attacks and they've all spent their biscuits trying to bring back longer borghini and paladin who i thought were going to be caught at three Ks because paladin was cooked Mariana Voss comes up the right-hand side, opens up her sprint. She's got a lot of Kopecky in the Belgian National Champs jersey right on her wheel in the draft. Voss opens up early and no one can even come near her. And, yeah, Kopecki didn't even come past her back wheel. Incredible sprint from Mariana Voss on the right-hand side of the barriers. As she looks at it, beating Kopecki. Third, Lisa Brannau, the German, who in the German National Champs jersey. Fourth, Balsamo, fifth, Bastianelli, sixth, Amelia Farlin for FDJ, seventh, Kristen Faulkner, eighth, Sarah Roy, and ninth, Emma Nosgaard. And who came tenth? Lawrence Stevens for Team Timco, Tibco, Silicon Valley Banks. They got two in the top ten, Team Tipco, not too bad for them at all. But a double today for Yumbo, Visma. Pretty pretty impressive from them and Voss dialing back the clock. I mean, I'm trying to think of what other teams could have done differently, but really Benji. I think
1: Trek could have done something differently.
0: I um Okay. Like when? The
1: situation when the echelons happened. When they made the echelon themselves, I think they should have done things differently there. So Like to give context to what I'm about to explain, let's talk about echelons. How are echelons made? It's by riders at the front making sure that the crosswinds affect the riders behind them by moving in line to one side of the road. This time it was the left side of the road where they were making sure that everybody was on the side so that everybody had to put in their max effort to stay on the wheel of the rider in front of them. If there is a gap, it's going to be really, really tough to stay on the wheel of the rider before you That's how the gaps are created in echelons. Once there's a gap of like 20 to 30 meters, you got to change the tactic in the echelon because then you need to start riding diagonally because then you're helping the people behind you. And if you keep doing that, riding diagonally, then you're going to have much more with the energy to keep going with the echelon because the riders that are in your wheel are not having as much trouble following your wheel. And that is how echelons are held after they are made. And in this situation, Trek Segafredo women, they made the echelon perfectly. They went to the side. And even the Belgian commentator mentioned it while we were watching that they kept it on the side. And that was an issue because then it's harder for the people following and it keeps putting people in trouble while it would have been much better for that six to seven women group to ride diagonally to keep the echelon going. And then you would have had a bit of a track battle against the people behind you. And I think that's how that situation would have gone differently. And because of this issue is also one of the reasons I think that Longo Burgini got away in the first place. Because she got away, I don't think it was totally on purpose, that attack. I think the second rider just lost her wheel. And I think this is why. I think she, well, they fucked up the echelon a tiny bit.
0: And was it even optimal? I know it's a good move, but... If you've created a split, which they had, and you've got four riders in the group, then why not just try and have a a group where you can use that numerical advantage and they were the strongest team. Instead, they've created a situation where, yes, they got longer any up the road, but it's a massive group behind that hadn't really done too much up to the camelberg big effort there but then they've recovered for a maybe 10ks plus so it's just less likely it's not like the uh it's not trofeo Alfredo binder where um it was a smaller group that was trying to chase down Elisa least longer borghini without multiple teammates and i think for so yeah trek probably would have been better off having a group of eight, nine, with three or four of their riders in there, then develop an advantage over the group behind, then roll attacks with Van Dijk first, then Elisa Longa-Borghini. Canyon Schramm, Sarah Paladin on the move, great. She followed it. Maybe she could have sat on more, but I don't think she was ever beating Elisa Longa-Borghini either, and it kind of played out well for them. They got a lead out for Capeki right on Mariana Voss, and Voss was just too good. And that's just the way it is. Sometimes Voss is boss, and <laughs> she didn't really need a lead out. She, she was her own lead out, taking out Hen Favelham. And let me look up her two hundred and thirty second pro road win. I think according to PCS, so pretty solid, to be honest. Um, and then we'll have Dwell's Tour of London women. I think on Wednesday. I don't have the video rights for that unfortunately but um is it a world tour race Benji women's world tour race world Tour of London anyway if it's um, on I don't
1: know we'll cover it. We, should, we should cover it either way
0: yeah yes. we'll cover it anyway so doesn't really matter we break the rules here all the time but thanks if you've been listening on the podcast players for listening through the race triple header on this Sunday pretty late right now but Pretty good day of racing. Not, I wouldn't say it was uh, as banging as E three Harrell Becker. But anyway, maybe there's like a course discussion that's going to be held in the Belgian media that we will never hear about. But thanks for listening. This was the women's Can Favelham recap, and uh, if you want to see, if you're listening on YouTube, there's the other two uh, videos for the men's Can Favelham and. Catalonia stage seven. Thanks as always and we'll see you for Dwarf's door of London on Wednesday. Ciao.